0: as usually I was meant to be the one reading today, but she and Devette have been punished for having a great time in Vanuatu and have um, got a cold. <laughs> a reading from the book of Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out down out of heaven from God He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of every precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written its names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city has twelve foundations and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it is wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be twelve thousand stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with, ev- with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian the seventh chrysolite and the eighth beryl the ninth topaz and the tenth chrysopras the eleventh jacinth and the twelfth amethyst the twelve gates were twelve pearls each gate made of a single pearl the great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass i did not see a temple in the city because the lord god almighty and the lamb are its temple the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the land is its land. The nations will walk by its sight and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign ever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things That must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, "Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers the prophets and all who keep the the words of the book. Worship." God. Then he told me, do not seal seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to you, uh, to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen.
1: Please uh, keep your Bibles open. There's an awful lot of stuff in there. Uh, It's a beautiful picture that is painted before us uh, and there's much that we can look at and will look at and it will be helpful for you to follow along. I have to say it was incredibly tempting just to read it twice uh, and call it quits after that because it is such a great passage uh, and I feel like my words can't quite get it. Uh, In fact, they're going to fall far short. But there are so many things here that we just need to just spend some time considering. Uh, They're so good and that's what we're going to do today. Let me pray and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, this picture is so beautiful uh, that our minds can scarcely begin to even comprehend it. Uh, It is so glorious to consider what you are preparing for us. Uh, We can hardly even find words to describe it. Father, help us now. Help us to see what it is that you are preparing for us. Give me words to describe this picture that you are painting before us. Encourage us and most of all, from what we see here, help us to come to love you and treasure you more and more. May you speak to us, may you open these words before us and may you bless us richly by them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, When I was a kid, we went on a family holiday to Sydney. Um, First time I'd ever been there. It was very exciting. We did all the the touristy sorts of things. Now, one of the things that my parents did, and in hindsight, it's kind of a weird habit, but they would only ever book half of the accommodation for the holiday beforehand. Uh, And when we were on holiday, we would book the rest of it. I I guess they hoped to get standby rates and, and save a few dollars. And so halfway through this holiday we found ourselves as a family having gathered dozens and dozens of brochures of, holiday, uh, of, of hotels uh, and flicking through them trying to find one that would be appropriate for us. Uh, as kids we'd found one pretty quickly, we, we, we found one that we liked and the main draw card of this hotel was this picture of an amazing pool. It was on the the front of this brochure. It was big, it was blue and what's more it was on the rooftop with an amazing view. It just looked incredible. Well, it has to be this hotel, Mum and Dad. Chuck all the other ones away. This is the one. It was even affordable, which probably should have told us something about that hotel. Anyway, the brochure was good. So we called up, we booked a room. It was just down the road so we walked there. We checked in, we took all our baggage up to the room, got settled in and then raced to the roof because we wanted to see this pool. We wanted to see this incredible, huge, tropical looking pool at this hotel. And we burst out of the elevator onto the rooftop terrace and we're disappointed because this pool was small. Uh, it would have fit in a quarter of this church. It was cold, it was dirty and the view was kind of blocked off by all this junk that really didn't need to be there. The only thing amazing about this pool was the camera they used to take that photo (laughs) and the amount of Photoshop they put into it. It was a terrible letdown. I don't think we even swam in it. It was that bad. And we were very disappointed and learned a very good lesson. Now, sometimes I think as Christians, we can hold similar fears about heaven or about eternity, about what is to come. I mean, could it really be all that it's cracked up to be? (laughs) Could it really be this good? Or are we just kind of getting ourselves all psyched up to be let down? I mean, it happens so often. We get let down all the time, don't we? Is this just another case? Could anything actually be as good as this picture before us? I mean, what makes it even more difficult is we just have no way to kind of conceive of what perfection could be like. How, how could that be? How would that even work? What does that look like? We, we just can't get our minds around that. And so we struggle with this picture. We, we wrestle with it. It's, it's very beautiful but we don't understand it. And that's a problem for us. It's a problem because we understand eternity so little. We get so confused by it we don't think about it much and we understand this world so much. And our priorities get mixed up. Our priorities get mixed up. What we need is to refocus our eyes. We need to try and wrap our minds around this future as much as we possibly can just in order to see how much better it is. And that's what the book of Revelation does here for us. It calls us to refocus our eyes, to look a little bit further. And to do that it gives us something to look at, just a glimpse, <laughs> just, just a snapshot. I mean, who can capture eternity in two chapters? And yet that's what we're given. Pictures here that we can understand, pictures here that we can relate to and what is more, pictures here that we can and should look forward to. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Now if you've been here since February as we've been working our way through this, past, uh, through this book, You'll know up to this point it has been pretty hard work. There has been judgement and pain and hurt and doom and all sorts of terrible things. And so to get here, to finally arrive, is a marvellous relief. What, what an oasis this chapter is after all that's gone before. All that, that glory that we've only seen the tiniest little hints of through the book. It is now unlaid, uh, uh, unveiled before us. It's revealed and it is spectacular. Look with me at what John sees, chapter 21, verse 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. John sees this new existence coming down out of heaven from God. It is... Uh, an entirely new creation, all of the heavens, all of the earth coming down before him in glory, bigger and brighter and better than anything he's ever seen before. Uh, There's two words in the Greek that John can use for the word new. Uh, There is new as in the sense as not existed before and there's new in the sense of renewed and remade. And it's that one that he uses here. Remade, renewed. What he sees here is not a replacement world. It's not as if the old world has been hoofed in the bin and a new one has been created to, to fill the hole that it left. No, what he sees is a renewed world, a remade, a renovated world, a world that has been fixed, that's been restored, that's been healed, that's been made as it should have been made. And what that's telling us is straight away there is continuity here, continuity between the world that we live in and the world that we will live in forever. There is continuity between how we live here and how we will live in eternity. And that's good news. (laughs) That's helpful for us. Because sometimes I think we we dread eternity, we dread forever just because we're confused about what that would mean. Our our picture of it is wrong. You know, we, we, we get that pop culture kind of heaven in which We exist in some sort of spiritual existence, whatever that actually means. And there's robes and there's clouds and there's harps and and that's what we do forever. Or, maybe a more Christianised version of that, we kind of envision eternity as being this forever church service. And we're just going to spend all eternity sitting in church doing roughly what we do here. I mean, who in their right mind would want either of those things? (laughs) That's not a really great picture to look forwards to, is it? And that's not what we see here. The eternity that we look forward to, the eternity that is promised us here is a physical existence. We're promised, we're going to see it again on Easter Sunday, that our bodies are going to be raised physically, like Jesus' body was. They are somehow going to be better, they are going to be stronger, they are going to be more able, I don't know how, but they are going to be better and they are going to be real. And we will live in a real world, a world that is somehow like this world but so much better, a world that is perfect. Everything there will be renovated and restored. It will be just like new. It will be better. Uh, My dad has taught me to love old cars. He's a big old car fanatic uh, and and taught me to to love the same. Uh, And I love seeing old cars, classic cars, uh, restored, returned to their former glory, and, and brought back to what they should be. Uh, there's a number of TV shows that do that. I don't get to see them very often, but when I do, I watch them. And one thing I've noticed on those shows is when they when they get these cars, these rusted-out old hulks, what they do is always just a bit more than restore them. Just a bit more than restore. Uh, say they've got this this beautiful old uh, 1940s coupe. Uh, a Mercury, one of my favourite cars. Say they've got this old Hulk, you know, they they take it. They cut out the rust, they replace all the rubber that's perished, they uh, restore the interior, they repaint uh, the exterior, they polish up all the chrome and by the time they're done it looks like it's just rolled off the assembly line. It is beautiful. But they don't stop there. They don't stop there. They take out the original motor. I mean, they were trash anyway. They were underpowered, inefficient, unreliable. And they put in a new motor that's strong and efficient and, and fast. Uh, they put in air conditioning because after all, who wants to drive in a big black oven? Uh, they put in a media player and an amazing sound system because we like to have our music when we drive. They put in power steering because no one wants to wrestle with their steering wheel. They put in new brakes. They, they put in all this new amazing stuff. See, what they're doing is not just fixing it, not just restoring it, they're actually improving it. They're making it better. And that's what God is doing with this world. That is what God will do with this world. He is restoring it and he is making it better. And what that's telling us is you will never look back from eternity to this world with regret. When you're there, this world is going to look pale and sad in comparison. You are not going to spend eternity thinking, oh, I wish I had done X, Y, Z, or I wish whatever had made it here. You are going to look back and you are going to laugh at the way you have pursued some of these things in this world. You are going to say, how stupid was I? How little did I know of what was to come? In this world that God is preparing, there is nothing that will be wrong, nothing at all. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. How is that possible? How, how is God going to achieve that? How could it be? Well, verse 3 answers it. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. God lives there. God lives with his people. That's kind of a hard thing for us to understand, isn't it? Uh, it's a hard thing to picture. We are used to a distance between us and God. What, what could life possibly look like with God there, with God physically present? Well, actually the word that John uses here really helps us understand Uh, The word dwelling is literally tabernacle. God will tabernacle with men. Remember back in the desert when Israel was in the wilderness, God tabernacled with them. What did that mean for them? It meant they were protected. It meant that they were provided for. It meant that they were led. It meant that they were taught. It meant that God was with them. Now, of course, that's that's a long time ago. That's still very distant, still intangible. Well, how about this? Remember how John described Jesus coming to earth in John chapter 1. Again, literally he says, Jesus came and tabernacled amongst us. What did that look like? Well, it looked like Jesus living with men, didn't he? Eating with them and drinking with them, walking along the road with them, talking, teaching, giving to them, leading them. It looked like him feasting. It looked like him partying. He even went fishing with them. He's showing them over and over again what it looks like to live with God, what His kingdom will be like, what eternity will be like. Look at His life, look at how He lived amongst us. He healed the sick, He raised the dead, He gave sight to the blind, He purified the possessed, showing all the things that were going to be true of His kingdom. He calmed the storm, that's why we're told here there's no sea in this new world. It's not that the sea itself ceases to exist, that would be disappointing. But what it's saying is a picture of all the, the, it's a picture of all that the sea symbolises being gone. The sea symbolises chaos and confusion. It's the dwelling place of evil powers throughout Revelation. We're being told that doesn't exist there. None of that is here because God is with us. God is with us. I don't know if you've ever wondered what it must have been like for Adam and Eve to walk in the garden, to, to literally walk with God through the garden. Or what it must have been like for the disciples walking along the road with Jesus himself. You know, what would that be like? Isn't that amazing? Well, know this, one day you're going to experience the same. And in fact, far better, far more wonderful and forever. Because God will be with us. He will be near to us. He is present in eternity. He is with his people in eternity and that is why nothing bad can exist there because his perfect presence, his awesome holiness drives them out. They simply cannot stand being around him and so they're not there anymore. (coughs) It is truly a perfect existence. You are never going to say something and immediately want to call it back. You are never going to see hurt in your loved one's eyes and know that you have caused it. There will be no painful or sad or final goodbyes. You will no longer lose sleep over your children and over their future or bad decisions. You will feel no ache and pain again. There will be no bad news from the doctor. You won't wrestle with anxiety or depression or addiction anymore. That mind-numbing tiredness that makes it so hard to get out of bed, it doesn't exist there. You won't see a loved one in a hospital bed surrounded by tubes and machines. You won't stand again at a graveside fighting back tears. You won't read again of another devastating story of a parent who's lost a child because none of that has any place in the home that God is making. In his presence, in the new creation, none of that exists. Instead, you will see him And you will know him as a child knows their father, as a bride knows their spouse, as a friend. And what is most wrong in this world, the distance that we now feel between creator and created, between heavenly father and earthly child, that distance will be gone. The reconciliation, the the restoration that Jesus has started on the cross, the, the tearing down of that barrier of sin is completed here and we will see God, we will know God, we will be with God forever. There is nothing better than what is to come. And that better is ours forever because what we see next is that this forever, this new home is a place of security and assurance and wonder the home that God preparing, is preparing for us is good. Uh, as the chapter continues, the picture we, we see at the start of chapter 21, it changes a bit. Uh, in, verse 20, uh, in verse 2, uh, we are this city, this, this new Jerusalem, the, the bride of Christ. In verse 10, the, the picture changes somewhat and now we be, the, the city becomes the place where we live, the place where we're going to spend eternity. And what we see there is that this is a special place, It is a beautiful, wonderful, incredible place. I'm not going to read all the descriptions. I don't want to have to read all those stones again. They're tricky. So just open your Bibles, uh, follow along with me and see how this city is described. Uh, Starting at verse 10. We see straight away this this city, it shines. It comes down radiant and beautiful. It shines with the very glory of God radiating out from it. Uh, It is bright. It is as pure as crystal. The city is a square, it has three gates on either side, far more gates than a real city actually needs. They face in all directions and they're never closed. In fact they're guarded by angels, not guarded to prevent entry but guarded that they will never be closed. God's people are welcome in this city. The twelve gates have on them the, 12, the names of the twelve tribes from the Old Testament. The foundations of these gates have on them the twelve names of the twelve apostles from the New Testament. What we're being told is all of God's people are welcome here, all of God's people are gathered here, Old Testament, New Testament, throughout time, from all corners of the globe, coming together in this city in a joyful unity. Uh, this city, it is immense. Uh, 12,000 stadia doesn't mean much to us. It's 2,200 kilometres in breadth. That doesn't mean much to us either. Tessie a pretty small place. Think Adelaide to Perth. That's how far this city stretches and from Adelaide to Darwin because the city is a square. I mean, it covers more than half of Australia and as if that wasn't insanely big enough, we find out that the city is actually 2,200 kilometres high as well. Now, this is obviously a symbol. Uh, it's not the most immense skyscraper ever built. Uh, it's, it's a symbol. This, this city is a cube, an immense cube and what we're being told is lots of people are going to fit here. <laughs> There is plenty of room in this city. That immense multitude we saw back in Revelation 7, they're all here. They all fit because that's how big a city God has prepared for them. This city is safe. It has the gates guarded. But it also has this wall, an immense wall made of jasper, 65 metres thick. Nothing is going to get into this city that shouldn't be there. It is a safe place. And this city is luxurious. It is rich. Each of its 12 foundations are marked by precious jewels. Each of its gates are somehow this immense pearl carved into a gate. And its streets, they're not bitumen, they're not concrete or dirt, they are pure gold. It's it's extravagant, it's luxurious, it's beautiful, it is designed to dazzle us and amaze us. And it's all to tell us that the eternal home that God has made for his people is real. It is big, it is safe, it is good, and it is beautiful. And it is yours if you belong to Jesus. Your name is on the door, your citizenship is held safely by Him there. For a long time now, we have been looking forward to living in our new house. Been there for two weeks, it's very exciting. We've been waiting for this moment. Uh, We've been waiting for a house that has more space, that has more storage. We've been waiting for a bigger backyard, uh, for better heating. We've been waiting for no pink carpet under the dining table. If you're ever going to build a house, don't put pink carpet under the table from experience. Uh, We've been waiting for a house in which when we open the front door we're not greeted with the smoking of the previous owner. We've, We've lived for a year under the promise of this new place, of a better place, knowing what's coming, And so far it's delivered. Well, how much more our eternal home? How much more the home that God is preparing for us? A home without danger, a home without plenty of space, a home without want, a home with all our loved ones and so many more. A home of beauty and glory, of light and wonder and joy. We live under the promise of better. We live now under the promise of better, knowing that this is coming and it will deliver in spades. We will not be let down. If you've been here through the last weeks, you might remember that throughout Revelation, there's another city. Uh, We see that city appearing over and over again and it's a contrasting city. It's an opposing city. Uh, It's called Babylon, the city of the world. It's also a woman but a prostitute. Uh, It's also rich but through exploitation. It's not a light, instead it's a seduction. It's full of abominations, it's drunk on wine, it's riding an evil beast. It is everything that this city is not. And the point of this picture is to tell us don't treasure the city of this world. Don't value what this world holds. Don't long for this world because the city that we are looking forwards to is so much better. It is beautiful, it is true, it is holy, it is pure, it is safe it is glorious and it is eternal. That is our city. That is where we are citizens if we are Jesus. Uh, Recently I was talking to a friend uh, who's a builder uh, and he's currently working for a young family who are building their first home together. Uh, They're in their 30s but their instruction to him was we are building our forever home. We are building our forever home so everything has to be just right very particular about absolutely every single thing in this place and it is causing them no end of anxiety and no end of conflict and no end of argument. And it's foolish. It is so foolish. We are not to be like that. Uh, You won't and you can't build your forever home. I mean, why would you even try? God's already done it and he's done a great job, far better than you will ever do. You you simply can't build forever here. Whether it's it's your home, whether it's your wealth, whether it's your experience, whether it's your legacy, all of it is temporary. Plus none of it compares to what is to come. Live for the holy city which God has made for you. Serve Jesus and store up treasures here uh, in, in this city to come. Use your time, use your money to make friends who will join you in this city forever. Treasure your eternal home that God is making for you now. And know this, if you never get rich here, you will be rich there. If you miss out here, you will never miss out there. There will be no regrets when you get to this city and any cost that you have borne now will not be paid 100 times over. Hold loosely to what we have here and hold tightly to what is coming because not only is it good, it is better. Now in the final section of this uh, passage, the the picture changes just a little bit more. Uh, The picture of the city fades into the background and the picture of the garden takes front place. Look with me at chapter 22 verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Uh, we often picture cities as you know, dirty, or barren, you know, concrete wastelands. But this city couldn't be more different. This is a true garden city. It's not a garden city like Adelaide is a garden city. It just has lots of parks scattered around it. This, this city is indeed a garden as much as it is a city. Uh, the, the picture here is designed to, to send our minds right back to the start of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, to the original garden, the Garden of Eden, uh, to the, the water uh, of life flowing there, to the tree of life, now pictured here, somehow both on, on, on both sides of the river, uh, bearing abundant fruit, life-giving fruit, even its leaves for the healing of the world. This this picture here is—it's light and it's lush and it's abundant and it's—it's beautiful. It's a picture that's bursting with life. It is so alive. Now, this this world is is so filled with death. Um, Even even life here, even our most vital moments are still touched by death, aren't they? I mean, we we say it in our more morbid moments. You know, from the moment you're born, you you start dying. You know, the best things we see, they're still tainted by by decay, by injury, by death. Well, not here, not in this garden, not in this city. Because life flows from God through everything, nourishing, enriching, overflowing, abundant. I mean, Jesus promised, didn't he, to all who come to him that they would have life and have it to the full. I mean, we feel that now in part, and we're promised it here completely. It will not be second rate. It won't disappoint you. It won't let you down. This life here is full of beauty and meaning and purpose. We'll serve God, all of us. There's no mundane, there's no unimportant jobs. All of them have intent. All of them have significance. All of them have joy and glory. Uh, we always say it as a family. I don't, I don't know if you've ever said this or experienced this, but you know how food tastes better camping. I don't, that's what we always say in the family. When you're camping, food just tastes better. You know, I don't know why, it just does. You know, you're sitting outside. It's it's possibly warm, hopefully warm. You're eating off plastic uh, plates with plastic cutlery. Yeah, maybe you've got a, a magnificent view, but the food is usually pretty normal, even sometimes quite ordinary. Yet it just tastes better. I mean, even instant rice, instant noodles, old sausages, they still taste good. There's nothing quite like camping food. That's what we're shown here. Heaven just tastes better. It is just better. Every single thing there is good. All the bad has gone, all the good we know here is better still. It is just better. Now, I don't know what that will be like. Uh, so don't don't come to me asking hard questions afterwards. I just don't have the answers. Uh, I don't know what your age will be in your new body. I don't know what your new body will be like, but I know it will be better. I don't know what work will look like there, but it will be better. I don't know if we'll fish or surf or garden or crochet or homebrew there, but it will be better. I don't know what life will look like day to day there, but it will be better, better by far, like this world, but so much more. The taste of joy we get here, we will know in abundance there. The, the glimpses of delight we experience here will be complete there. For life, the life of God, the life of Christ will flow through everything and we will truly and finally live to the full. There will be no hurt, no wrong, no pain, no tear in eternity. Your wounds healed, your burdens lifted, your pains soothed. You will be you, I will be I, but better still. You will walk with your loved ones again and you will find billions more whom you will come to know and love just as much. And you will walk with Jesus. You will see his love for you written on his face. And finally you will be able to thank him to his face for all he has done. You will know the fullness of his glory, the depth of his grace, for the life that he has won is yours and you will reign with him forever. As the angel says, these words are trustworthy and true. This is not a possibility. This is a surety and a promise. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of prophecy in this book. All that we see here, Jesus is bringing. All the blessing described for us here is yours. Simply keep his words and stay faithful to him. Verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life the invitation to this city is still open. The gates are still held for all who would come to it. It is extended not only to us, but it is ours as the bride to extend to the world. Come and join us. See what is to be. Come and spend eternity with us and receive the life and blessing of Jesus forever. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come and take us home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what what a delight, what a treat you have given us here just to glimpse how magnificent, how beautiful the home that you are preparing for us is. Father, it just blows our minds to think of an existence Where all bad is gone and where all good is better, we we can scarcely even describe it, let alone understand it. And yet we know that this is your promise for us. Father, help us to treasure our eternal home. Keep us faithful against the cheap seductions of this world. Help us to champion this home, to live for it, to declare its invitation to the world. Father, fill us with longing for what is to come so that truly, daily, we would be able to say here, Come, Lord Jesus,
0: come. Amen.